All right, if you will uh, turn with me, doesn't look like, yep, it will be on the screen, so turn with me or look on the screen at Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll read verses 3 through 14. Um, this is a mini, mini series. I will also be preaching on Ephesians next week, on Ephesians 5. Um, I won't talk about that now because that's next week. Ephesians 1, I'm going to read 3 through 14, where Paul writes the beginning of his letter to the church in Ephesus. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms in every, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so it's a hot sunny summer Sunday and I'm gonna preach on predestination why not so um, I'm not sure these are actually my favorite subjects but they are you know everyone's favorite subjects in church difficult theology and grammar how many of you like grammar by the way nouns verbs all right there's a few of us right three how about at home put up your home hand at home about the same number at home I see good I'm doing this one, this sermon, in full Eric mode, if you will. You may have noticed already that whenever I talk about a topic, what I want to do with it is wonder this, how else can we think about this? Because I've been in ministry long enough, I think, that I've bumped into a lot of people's questions and their difficulties and their stumblings. Um, this one's kind of in line with that sermon that um, Pastor Peter and I did together on sovereignty, God is in control because predestination is really based on the idea that God's got everything in his hand. The problem with it is that it's trying to think God's thoughts after him. When I started seminary, we took a class called prolegomena. They could never name anything simple in seminary, which means first things. And in first things, we first had to discover what actually is theology, what are we doing? And one definition, I'm not particularly fond of this one, one definition of theology is thinking God's thoughts after him. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I can think God's thoughts after him, right? 
my understanding of theology is not that when I read the Bible and hang on to the Reformed traditions in which I've been trained, I now know what God is thinking. What I do when I read the Bible and think thoughts about what the Bible says is realize I have no idea what God is thinking. He's way beyond me. That's sovereignty, actually, a great definition of sovereignty. We're not really sure exactly what God's doing. We trust that he's got things in his hand. And so we'll be looking at those kinds of fun things today. So a couple of definitions first. These are my definitions. These are not dictionary definitions. These are not final definitions. These are very commonplace understandings of what these things might mean. Predestination, that God decided beforehand who is in. God defined, decided beforehand who's going to be saved, who's part of the kingdom, who's part of the church, all those kinds of things. The danger with that always becomes, like we talked about again with God is in control, is that we say, well, if God's already decided, what do I need to do? I, he's got it. He's made a plan. It's going to carry out how he wants to. Whatever I do doesn't matter. The hard thing and the, or the fun thing, depending on how you're wired, the thing I think is fun about theology is we always, almost always, have to do this. We have to hang on to absolutely God is sovereign, predestination, he's decided, it's in his hand, and you have to decide there's free will, you have to make decisions, you have to live your life, right? And I'll lean a bit more into that as we go. Most of the controversies that have happened in the Christian church throughout history, including the Reformation, John Calvin, Martin Luther, and so on, I suggest would have been better if they would have sat together and said, wait a minute, what are you emphasizing? Calvinists would say, we're emphasizing God's sovereignty. Arminians, what are you saying? We're saying, no, people have free will. And then you look and you say, well, people can find texts for those both in the Bible. Let's hang on to both of them. Protestant Reformation. We said, you don't need a priest to confess your sins. You can go directly to Jesus. Catholics said, no, you need to go through a priest. I would suggest you need both. Whenever people say, you know what, I've gone through something and, and, well, I've dealt with it with Jesus. I say, no, 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 no. You need to find some human being, because Jesus came as the incarnate Son of God. He came as God among us. You need to find some incarnate person, some living body, through whom to confess your sins. It might not be a priest, but it needs somebody who's playing a priestly role in the name of Jesus. It's a both and. I can go on. Sorry, I looked at my watch before I got up here and realized I have lots of time. So I'm going to go on long, tell you all kinds of extra things and so on. You're welcome. Oh, yeah, I got to do the pronoun definition. A pronoun is a general term used to replace a specific noun. So I can name all kinds of people here, pretending I know all of your names, right? So there's, you know, Joe and Sue and Sam and Bob and Gurpreet and all these people are here. But after I've named them once, it's tiring to have to name them all every single time, and so I'm going to say they, right? Or if something has a really long name, like the Christian Reformed Church in North America, after I've said it once, I can say it, right? That's what a pronoun is. It just takes the place. I'm assuming most of you knew that, but have to be sure. All right. Now, predestination usually does not bring up vast amounts of excitement and dancing and joy when you say we're going to talk about predestination. However, when you read the biblical passages on it, and that's what we're going to do today, you'll find that it's always talked about in an incredibly emotional kind of way, right? So um, there was a post on our um, Instagram this morning. I think it goes to Facebook too. I don't see Facebook. That I asked Alice to take back down again. 
It was perfectly true about predestination. It was highly unhelpful about predestination. That's why I want to talk about this. There are things that are very, very true that you need to be very careful about what your context is when you say them. And Instagram, of course, we don't even know who's reading it. It goes out to whoever wants to look at it. That's the time to be very careful and to say things that will be helpful, right? You understand when somebody goes to the hospital and maybe they're in the hospital and you might think in your mind, well, yeah, that makes sense. You live like this and so you end up there, right? You drive your motorcycle like a maniac and you have a broken leg. We, we see the connection. Pastoral care is not going to the hospital and going, you know why you're here, right? Okay. Likewise, with difficult theolog theological ideas like predestination, this is not your evangelism tool. This is not the first thing you talk about with somebody. This is something that, I don't know, I was trying to listen to myself read as I read that passage, and, and maybe you were feeling this too. It's like, ooh, there's a lot of words in that passage, and they come fast. What does that all mean, right? Now I know it's my job to try and unpack that, and I will try, but I want you to first notice the feeling words that are in this. Praise, that's a good thing. Every spiritual blessing chose us. Everyone loves to be chosen, picked, included. Holy and blameless in love, his pleasure and will, his glorious grace and freely given. So whatever predestination is about God deciding ahead of time who's in and so on, it's done, according to Paul in Ephesians, in the context of all this positive emotional excitement about what God is up to in this world. Let's first lean into that feel. And therefore, if, I know for myself, when, when a theological conversation like this comes up and it's a lot of theologians talking about it, mostly it feels heavy and painful and confusing. And my suggestion is that if it only feels heavy and painful and confusing, we're not talking about the right thing because the passage is about God's praise and his glory and his freedom and his grace and all those things. Then this. So the words in bold are about relationship, and the ones underlined, they make the theological point. Let's start with the, the latter, the, the underlined ones. Before the creation of the world. How many of you were here before the creation of the world? Was Paul here before the creation of the world? Okay, so the man writing these things has had a revelation from God, I'll give him that, right? But this is not eyewitness science kind of stuff. This is a faith kind of a statement that if we believe God created the world, then likely if he's in charge of all things, even before the creation of the world, he came up with a plan. I don't know about you, but I like to know that God has a plan. I'm much happier in a world where I'm quite sure there's somebody bigger, smarter, wiser, and broader than me who's kind of looking over things than a world that's, well, you decide this, they decide that, willy-nilly, it's going to come out somehow, right? That's a terrifying world. So, before the creation of the world, predestined. I'm going to give you a more helpful definition of predestination in a little while, but predestined, of course, means before there was a plan, before there was a destiny, there was a goal, right? And then, in accordance with his pleasure and will, we Calvinists, if I may confess on our behalf, have somehow made God's pleasure and will this horrible thing where, well, it's totally God's pleasure and will. It's not up to me. It has nothing to do with me. No, his pleasure and will, it's about pleasure. God gets great joy in seeing people live in exactly the way they were created in this world. God wants us to thrive, right? And it's his will, his plan, his goal. He's doing everything he possibly can to show his love to us and allow us to live in that and receive that and wallow in that, if you will, as his goal. 
which leads me to the bold ones. Notice that predestination is not simply a doctrine that you write in a book and you have to get your mind around it, and if you can write it properly like I did in seminary on my test, you win. Predestination is about relationship. He chose us in him, that's Christ. God chose us in Christ. So before the creation of the world, God was already saying, these people are going to need to be embraced in, in myself, in ourselves, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God wanted us to be a part of his community, and so it's in love that he predestined us, because in love he said, I need these people to be embraced by who I am in every way possible. Right? And then in love he predestined. Don't say it. In love, he predestined. It's in love, he predestined. It's out of his incredible um, desire to be connected with us, right? God's overwhelming passion is for people to thrive. And so when he predestines, he does that in the context, again, of that love. And then adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Now, none of you are Romans as far as I know, but to a Roman, sonship and adoption was everything because it was a, basically a slave culture. So lots of people had no rights. They weren't Roman citizens. They didn't have rights in that. But to be adopted by a Roman into sonship meant that suddenly you had all the freedoms, well, all the freedoms that we experienced were Canadians. We had these kind of freedoms, right? You go from being oppressed and a slave and having no rights to being one who's involved and connected. That's what it's all about. Not this cold idea, God picked some, he didn't pick others but this powerful emotional connection where God says, I want you to be in my family. I want you on my team. All right, and then the exclamation point, all this to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. So again, in God's timing, in his plan, when he's ready, right, then it all comes together. And then this, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So the idea that predestination is God saying, I can take a few of these people and a few of those people and that's about it, right? Totally misses the point that God's plan is actually unity for all things in heaven and on earth. He wants, and Peter says this too, he wants all people to be saved, all people to be included. It's his goal, his plan to invite as many as he possibly can to engage with what he's doing in this world and again, to live the way we are called and created to live. All right, now. When we hear predestination, most of us, if you've had any theological catechism kind of training at all, we have a whole lot of um, baggage that goes with that word, right? Um, but let me try and help you understand what an Ephesian would hear when they heard the word predestined. So who's here has heard of the Oracle at Delphi? All right, two people have heard. How about at home? Two people at home as well. It's amazing how consistent we are. Whoa, don't fall off the stage. That would be awkward. Um, the Oracle at Delphi, Delphi is a city reasonably close to Ephesus, and the Oracle at Delphi was sort of like that guru up on the mountain you see in the comics sometimes, right? You, everybody wants to know what the answer is to life's greatest question, so they climb the mountain and the guru is sitting there and they ask him what's the meaning of life, and he gives them whatever the answer is. The Oracle of Delphi was something like that. But when you ask the Oracle at Delphi, this guru, a question, the answer always came in the form you see on the screen there. It'd be, if you offer X and then do Y, then it is predestined that Z will happen. 
See what's going on there? When we think of predestined, we think God, all by himself, before creation, said, ah, these are in and those are out. It feels very either deterministic or willy-nilly. Willy-nilly is a deep theological term, by the way. But when the Ephesian people heard Paul writing and saying the word predestined, they understood that it included action on the part of the people who were predestined, right? So I would look at predestination this way. It's actually about Jesus first. Everything's about Jesus first, actually. It's about Jesus first in this way. If Jesus offers himself as a living sacrifice on the cross and does the will of his Father, as the Gospel of John points out over and over again, then it's predestined that he will save all kinds of people. Now, if Jesus didn't do any of those things, the way we understand history, this would not be happening. We would not be church. We would not be following him, et cetera, et cetera. The same is true then that when we think of predestined, it's not this cold decision of God that gets enacted whether we like it or not, like, like a prescripted movie. It's God saying, as he always said in the Old Testament, if you follow me, if you obey my commandments, if you heed what I'm saying to you, if you love each other, if you love me, and you live out that, then all these blessings will come upon you. It's God's consistent pattern throughout the Bible. It wasn't that he did the whole Old Testament thought, nah, that's not working. I'm going to predestine some people, and we'll just choose them, and they're in, right? This is always in the Bible a relationship. That's why the Bible is a story, because it's the story of God having a relationship with us and wanting us to continue to invite, or wanting to continue to invite us in. Oracle at Delphi, that's how they would understand that word. Now, pronouns. You're probably sitting there going, when's he going to talk about pronouns? I'm so excited about pronouns. Listen to the pronouns in these few verses. First, pointing out which one we're supposed to be looking at. It's we. Who is the we in this one? In him, we also were chosen, says Paul, a Jew who studied under a rabbi, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ... So who were the first to put their hope in Christ? Who were the first converts to Christianity? The followers of Christ, his disciples, all Jewish, right? The day of Pentecost, there's people from all over. They had all kinds of different languages, but most of them were Jewish people who had come back to Jerusalem for the festival, right? So they were Jews from all over the world. So the we, I want to suggest to you, and this is shorthand. I can give you lots of material to back this up if you want to. The we who is being talked about here is the Jewish people. Right? So I want to suggest to you that the heart of predestination, not all of predestination, the heart of predestination actually applies to the Old Testament people and to the early New Testament people called the Jewish people, God's chosen people. They were always called that, right? Now, it doesn't mean we're not going to be chosen. That's the next verse. But recognize that this plan of God, his, his decision, his predestination, applies first and foremost and most fully to the Old Testament people, to the Jewish people, because they had a goal— and that goal was to be God's people in such a way that all the Gentile nations, all of us others, would be invited in. And then surprise, surprise, guess what happens in the next verse? Now, who's you? And you also were included, said Paul, in Christ. When? When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. All right? So, again, theologically, story-wise, the Jews were first chosen. They had the main the main script at the beginning, right? And it was always intended that they would reach all kinds of people, but until Jesus came, and Jesus is the ultimate Jew, if you will, he's the ultimate Israelite. In fact, he gets talked about by Paul as being Israel all by himself. Until he came, that 
plan, that chosenness, wasn't being lived out as fully as it possibly was. So Jesus fulfills predestination because if he did, which he did do, um, died on the cross, then it would be predestined that all other people would be invited in and would be saved. All right? I'm going to get a lot of good questions by email this week, right? Good. But what about this, Pastor Eric? I do love those, by the way. I'm not dissuading you in the least from that kind of a thing. Then this dynamic interaction. So this is, again, the you. He says, we Jewish people and, and who first met with Jesus, we received it. Now you have received the message. And when you believed, which is an action, right, which is a responsibility, which is an affirmation of that which you've understood and heard and experienced, when you believed, then you were marked in him with the seal, right? And I, I think there's a dynamic interaction here. The, the Holy Spirit was at work and sealed them so that they would believe, but the Holy Spirit's also at work that when they believed, they received that seal, right? If you are coming forward as an adult to be baptized, it's because you believe that we give you the seal, right? There's the dynamic interaction of that, those two things. And that seal, of course, is the promised Holy Spirit. It's relational again. And then this, God's got this for God's sake. Remember I started out talking about sovereignty? God's got this. It's in his control. It's in his hand. This is what God is doing. This Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. All right? So if I want to buy a new vehicle, but I'm not picking it up now, they make sure that I give them a certain amount of money, a deposit, to guarantee that later I pay out the rest and I receive that vehicle, right? Jesus did this with the Holy Spirit. All of you who received the Holy Spirit, and all of you have received the Holy Spirit to some degree, he's at work. That's God's way of saying, I got my stamp on you. I've made a down payment, but there's more to be done. This whole predestination thing is really about you, him saying, I've chosen you, I've called you, you've believed, you've received the Holy Spirit. Now go and do and live out these things. Go love your neighbor. Go embrace other people. Go be somebody who supports that which is good and right and true in this world until the redemption of those who are God's possession. You see, we are predestined, we are chosen, we are called to be the ones who carry out this kingdom plan of God of reaching out to other people, talking to other people, making this world a better and more loving kind of place. And why do we do all this? So that we look good, so that we get to heaven? Nope. To the praise of his glory. And that's always the tough part of all of these sovereignty conversations God seems a bit self-centered, if I may say so, because it's always all about him. And there's a good reason it's all about him. It just feels self-centered to us. And you know why it feels self-centered to us? Because we're self-centered. Why can't this be about me? Right? Most of our questions about God in the Bible are, why can't he make it just a bit more about me? Why can't he do things my way? Why can't, why can't he make it easier for me? And ultimately and finally, the answer is because God's God and he's got this, and you're not, and you don't. So relax in that and enjoy that. But also recognize that God is love and in relationship. That he's going to find a way to mend fences, to draw us together, to change things in our world. That's who God is. And when that's all done, it'll be him who gets the praise because he's the one doing it, even if he uses us. And that's a good thing. Because for us, if we get proud and arrogant and self-satisfied and self-righteous, that makes a mess of things. But when God's stuff is done and he gets the praise and the honor and the glory, 
It just means things are just the way they're meant to be. So, on this journey, why is Paul telling us this? Because he wants us to trust God's got this, but he also wants us to know that the way God has this is by inviting us in, planning to have us in, and finding ways to get us engaged in his mission in this world. And your mission is to figure out, where's God sending me? Who does he want me to talk to? When's there an opportunity for me to be his child in a powerful way? We had a family gathering yesterday. I'll end with this. We had a family gathering yesterday, and one of my extended family members, and I have a big family member, so they'll rename, remain anonymous unless Ruthann gives them away. They were on an airplane, a couple, and on the airplane they met a couple of people from the Ukraine who were fleeing, and they started talking with them. They somehow got connected, started having a conversation, and found out that these people coming to Canada from the Ukraine had no idea where they are staying even that night. So they looked at each other, and... You know how sometimes spouses can look at each other and know what the other person's thinking? They have that ability. We don't, but they do. And they said, well, if you don't have a place, you can stay with us. This was a few months ago, and they're still there. And we asked them about it, and they told us about it. And they said, we just sensed God was saying to us, they weren't saying, now all you guys got to do this too. If you're in our family, you got to do this. No, they said, we sensed God was saying to us, this is our mission right now. We have space. They're exactly the right kind of people to do this kind of thing, and they've been having an amazing blessing, and God is being glorified through it. God has predestined us to do those kinds of things. Pay attention to when it is that he's tapping on your shoulder in what circumstance for you to step out and say, and this is mine, and this is ours, and this is what we'll do at this time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for coming into this world. Thank you that you're part of the Father's plan. Thank you that you understand better than we do how this whole thing works. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, for the humility to accept that you've got this, and also the humility to allow your spirit to prompt us and guide us to step out and pick up that which you've already planned ahead for us to do. Lord, give us antenna of faith. Give us eyes of trust. Give us hearts filled with love and compassion that we may be at work doing, which we'll look back on later as your planned work for us. Let us step out in faith, we pray in your holy name.